I want to go to the old chapter of Isaiah chapter, in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 37. And I will meet you there in a moment. I'll have a verse or two of scripture to read before that. How many of you believe in prayer? How many of us practice it as much as we should? It got silent, did it not? (laughs) I want to talk to you about something about prayer today, but hopefully in a different way. I am glad that you and I have the privilege of talking to an eternal God. Let us not forget He is the eternal God. Uh, As believers, we who are truly born again, one of the greatest blessings bestowed upon us as children of God is the privilege and the gift of prayer. The psalmist wrote, what is man that God is even mindful of us? I think one of the greatest weapons that we have in the spirit warfare is a thing called prayer. How woefully, I think, neglectful we are many times in our prayer life. Let me just remind you, it is no small insignificant thing or task to pray. But it's also one of the major reasons why Satan will fight us anyway by manner or means that he can to keep us from praying. Someone said years ago, I remember something about Satan doesn't fear the, the Christian on his feet, but he shakes and trembles with a Christian on his knees. And I know that there is power in that particular place on our knees. I want to declare to you that faith is, uh, prayer is also an act of faith. Because we who pray must know to whom we pray. Prayer by the millions and millions every day is futile because it is to gods that do not even exist. You can't fault the, the effort But ladies and gentlemen, there are false gods aplenty. Let me insert this and I will move on. I think sometimes that we allow our feelings, our emotions, or our circumstance in what we think is perhaps impossible or we think is very difficult. How many have ever heard the expression, pray harder? I think it comes from a human experience because we have a, a the, I think we have this tendency to overlay God and who he is and his power and his willingness or his ability to answer our prayer on our, compared to our circumstance or the situation. If I think what I'm saying is if we think it's really hard for us, then it must be really hard for God. Can I tell you that is not the case? How many of you know that's not the case? In 2020, Christian believers, I want to declare to you, if we are to pray in faith, and we are to pray with effectiveness, 
and we are to pray with a spirit fervor, we must realize to whom we pray. Who is it that we give as recipients of our prayer? we got to remember who it is we are approaching. So let me give you a little background this morning. If you go to Isaiah chapter 36 and 37, it's of the year about 700 to 701 B.C. The king of Israel is a man by the name of Hezekiah. And at this particular moment where we're going to read, Hezekiah is what I call trembling in his boots. He's a godly man. He's a king with much responsibility, and yet he's human. He's experiencing fear and certain insecurity and uncertain things. The king of a nation called Assyria is by the name of Sennacherib. He had the most powerful army of all the nations of his time. His army thus far has defeated every enemy that they have attacked. And now they have Israel in their sights. And Israel is absolutely no match at all for Sennacherib and his nation of Assyria. Sennacherib had a spokesman by the name of Rabshakeh. And he came and addressed Israel. And I don't want you as we read this morning to miss this likeness or this sameness as we read this historical time compared to the very kind of issues and particular place we are in the world, not just in our country. I want you to know that talk is cheap because supply certainly exceeds the demand. It is important that we today do not become overwhelmed by all the negativity and all the things that I believe Satan is using, not only against the church, but against the world, even against nations, and can I say against any truth at all. Satan is attacking truth so that it's come to pass in the day in which you and I live that we are, we have arrived where it was prophesied they will call evil good and they will call good evil. And what's frightening to me is the demonic concept that people actually get to that place where they are totally abstract and separated from genuine reality. How many of you understand what I'm saying this morning? So, Sennacherib declares this. I'm going to actually read just a minute in chapter 36, and I'm going to look at verse 13. Then Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, I want you to watch this because this man, because of their power and because of their position and because of their track record of winning in battle, They try to attack any faith in God at all. How many of you know that's similar to today? Listen to what he says. 
Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah, the godly leader, deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. I hear in these words a mocking as I hear it today in our land. Listen, there is bold. He said this, do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, the one who's the winner, the one with the power today, the one who's really in charge. Listen to the king of Assyria. Make peace with me by a present and come out to me and every one of you eat from his own vine and every one from his own fig tree and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land that your own land a land of grain and new wine and land of bread and vineyards I want you to know I hear that echoed today if you'll vote for me you won't have any problems at all and we'll take care of everything for you I'm out of breath, but I still got it said. (laughs) Wow. Look at verse 18, though. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Watch this. I want you to hear the cynicism. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Nobody can fault the fact that the human reasoning ability can add two and two to equal four. That was the threat. Ladies and gentlemen, the human mind and and reasoning ability is an awesome thing given to us by God. However, I want to declare to you today and across the media today that our human perspective, though it is intelligent and though it has great reasoning ability, it can become a stumbling block when you come face to face with the spirit world and you cannot negate the spirit world. This is the reason that I believe the Holy Spirit is imperative and to be baptized with the power of the Spirit indwelling us today. We not only need Him to teach us, we need Him to empower us. So I ask the question, what did Hezekiah do? I'm glad to report to you that this was a godly man over the nation of Israel, and he prayed. But I want to insert something that I think is important. Sometimes we only resort to prayer. 
Sometimes we, having exhausting ourselves of human effort, then when everything is in a dire place, we call upon God. It makes me wonder how God feels when we call upon Him only after we've exhausted ourselves. Listen, I want to tell you, God is interested in every intricate detail of your life. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening before sin. God wants a relationship with you, not just a God and a, and a, and a created human being being, God wants to know the inmost of us. But I want to make this statement. When times were tough, Hezekiah went to the house of God, and he went also to the God of the house of God. Read about Jacob and read about Bethel, and when he came back, El Bethel. Bethel means the house of God, and he changed the name of it the second time, and he called it El Bethel, the God of the house of God. Listen, I believe this is the house of God, but may the God of the house always be honored and present in this place. If you read about Hezekiah's life, one thing you know, Yes, he had intellect and he had reasoning and he saw and knew the distress. How many of you know that there's a lot of tension in our world this morning? We can sense it. We're in it. I know it. You know it. We're, we're intelligent, thank God, enough to know that. And, and Hezekiah knew that. But here's the good news about him. Hezekiah also saw the deliverer. Hezekiah had confidence in praying because he knew who God is. Saints, for us to have faith and confidence in praying, we must know who God is and we must know what he can do. The God of our praying means everything. Later, Rabshakeh wrote Hezekiah a letter, sent it with messengers, challenging him again that his God would do nothing for him. So here's the text this morning, chapter 37. If you want to follow with me, I'm going to begin at reading verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the land of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Don't miss the picture. He's the leader. He's responsible. Here's an attack. This is of Satan. This means destruction. He took that very thing into the place where God dwells and he laid it before him. I just love that picture. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, in all the kingdoms of the earth you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, to hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands. And they have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, 
our God, save us from this hand, his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. And I'm going to tell you something. The earth is a set stage, and that's the God we serve. That's the God who's going to come and let the whole world know that He is God. He is the God to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is truly Lord. To Him, that is the God of our praying. Hallelujah. Verse 16, I want to have, I'm beyond Perryman. He's three points. I'm five today. You're welcome. Welcome home from vacation. I can't even believe you went without me. Verse 16 is our text this morning. Listen to this leader, this man of God, describe, not only say, Lord, help us, Lord, help us, Lord, help us. I want you to know when he laid that out before the Lord, I think it's important that we look at how he addressed this God. He first of all called him the Lord of hosts or the God of hosts. I want to ask us, what does that mean? We know if we're students of the word that God was called that and called himself that many times during the Old Testament. But if you'll go with me over to James chapter 5 in the New Testament, you'll read something that's quite important. And notice the setting by which he read it. I'm going to read verses. I think I only told my team verse 4, but I'm going to read a few more verses. Listen to, to the setting and what James said in the New Testament chapter 5. I'll just start with one. Listen to the, the, the situation among even James' time. Come now, you rich Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. How many of in this place ever say, ever just ask in the last few weeks or days, how many of you ever said, God, when are you going to do something? How many of you have? Be honest with me. Well, the rest of you are more spiritual than me because my wife and I the other day were listening and I got to hear with all that. And, I, and my wife said, when is God going to do something about this? Well, it is on good time. But, but watch this. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. This is all the efforts of human beings, folks. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the labors who moved your fields... Have you ever just got disgusted because you feel like nobody pays taxes but you? I'm just throwing the humanity in there. I'm not adding to the Word of God. <laughs> the wages of the labors who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. Those wages cry out. Listen, there's a justice in the nature of God. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord. Of Sabaoth. This is a Hebrew term. 
the Lord of Sabaoth. It means numbers prepared for war. It means hosts, warring angels. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to declare to you in this late generation, God is prepared to settle the score within when the time of justice is at hand. God will not be caught by surprise. God's throne is one of equal, equal equality and pure and undefiled justice and truth. Nobody will try to manipulate God. It will be the truth, nothing but the truth, because He is God. He's the Lord of Seboeth, the God of heavenly armies. I won't take you there to read it, just you can read it later. Second Kings verse chapter 6, I mean, there's another time where Israel is threatened by another army. Then it was called Syria, not Assyria like it is here. But the leaders couldn't find the armies of Israel. Elijah the prophet would hear from God and he would send the Israel army away into a safe place. So the enemy servants were sent to ascertain the problem And they were told that Elijah the prophet would hear from God and he would send Israel away so that Syria could not find them. They were told his name and where he lived. He lived at a place called Dothan. So the king of of Syria sent his, that evening, all his warriors and he sent men and chariots and horses at the evening and surrounded Dothan where Elijah was. Elisha, excuse me. In the morning, Elisha and his servant get up and walk around and suddenly his servant sees all these horses and all the chariots and all these men. And he looked I love the phrase. I love the the word of God. Gehazi turned to Elijah, his master, Elisha the prophet, and he said, Master, we perish. And I want you to notice that if you look only in human reasoning and you're attached only into the world and you disregard the spirit world, you can say today, Lord, we perish. But Elijah said these words, something like this. Lord, open my servant's eyes that he may see. Well, I want you to know, if you don't understand the things of the Spirit and you don't get in the Word of God, you don't understand this. Are you kidding me? He he sees. He just got through and said, Master, we perish. He's seeing with his natural eye. But Elijah the prophet said, God, open his spiritual eyes. And when he opened his spiritual eyes, he saw the mountains behind Syria's army covered in horses and chariots of fire. I want you to know if you're out there today in the media and you don't have spiritual eyes, you need to get to the place of repentance, the cross, and be sure you see the whole picture and not just the limited earthly view. Church, ladies and gentlemen, let me remind us, in October 2020, when we pray, that's the God of our praying. That's the God who is providential and who is the sovereign and who is omnipotent. And we are speaking to that God. That is the God of hosts. Seboeth. Secondly, 
he addressed the God of Israel. When, when Hezekiah prayed these words, the God of Israel, he was not just using a courteous title. All through the Old Testament, God reminded Israel of their relationship to the covenant God. I'm going to read, I'm going to turn in chapter 41. I want to just read a few verses of Scripture about the God of Israel. God would constantly remind them of that relationship. Isaiah 41 verse 8 says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. The descendants of Abraham, my friend. You whom I have taken from the... How many of you in this room are saved and you know God? You understand this phrase. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest region and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and you have not and have not cast you away. Fear not for I am with you. Do not... Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is saying, truly, ladies and gentlemen, twice-born people of 2020, we are the appointed of this church age. God has sought us out. God has given us the message. God has called us into his family. We have been purchased by blood. We are redeemed by the sacrifice of the Christ of our God. We are members of the righteous family. So when we pray, we were instructed to say, Abba, Father. Not some small G wood or stone or God of that nature that didn't even hear it. God even said one time, tell them what do they say? What do they hear? Let them answer you. We are the God. We are the children of the almighty eternal God. The only one that exists. God, I think Isaiah, excuse me, Hezekiah is praying, Lord, we are your appointed people. You found us when we were nobodies. In all the nations of the world, you chose us. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're sitting in this sanctuary or on the media today and you are twice born, let me tell you, you've been sought out and chosen for God and he's given you the ability to come to repentance and say, I need you. But he also wants to use you and we need to pray to that God, not just because of the lawful thing, we'll get there in a minute, but just because he loves you and he wants to relate to you. Amen. Thirdly, he prayed the God who dwells between the cherubim. <laughs> I just feel like I need to take my shoes off here. Well, you can go right ahead, lady. Miss Lynn, you can take <laughs> Thank you. Psalm chapter 80, verse 1. Psalm chapter 99, verse 1, declares this, that he is the God who dwells between the cherubim. What does that mean? What does that mean? I want to take you to the book of Exodus. You don't have to turn. In Exodus, God was instructing Israel about all the construction of the temple, the tabernacle, 
And in this particular chapter 25, he instructs how to build the Ark of the Covenant and especially the mercy seat. Everything that he instructed and everything that he would build was a visual type of Jesus Christ who would eventually come and present and be the perfect sacrifice that God had promised. So here they are receiving the instruction. Listen to how God spoke. I'm in, I'm in Exodus 25. I'm going to begin at verse 18. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered wood, hammered work, and you shall make them in two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherub at the two ends of it and of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings And they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony of which I give you. I hope you know what that is. And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you. From above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. This is the place of adoration. This is the place of reverential awe. This is the place of absolute worship. God said between the cherubim, I will meet with you. I will commune with you. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. This is the God you and I worship. And he said, my thoughts are are above your thoughts. He's the God who said, my ways are above your ways. But he also is the God who said, I will visit with you. I will commune with you. Deep will cry to deep. Spirit will speak to spirit. And I just want to say this morning, be encouraged in prayer in this late hour because God said he would visit with us. And so I come this morning to say to that God between the cherubim, and I understand today it's in my heart and in my spirit, but I with Hezekiah want to say to him I bow, to him I place my knee on the ground, to him I give all exaltation. I serve the God that lives between the cherubim, the holiest of holies in the mercy seat where I was able to be born a second time. That's the God to whom I pray. How many were glad you know God? I need to hurry. Number four, he prayed to the only God of all the kingdoms of the earth. Hezekiah reminds himself 
that no king, no kingdom, no government, no nation, no earthly might of any kind does one thing that God does not know and that God does not see. I want to stop and say, the God to whom we pray, the God of our praying, sees it all, knows it all. And even though Satan deceives the masses, let's face it, Jesus said, broad is the way, and many there are that find it. Satan deceives humanity like no other entity. And today the world is blinded by this austere enemy dedicated to our ruin. He, he, he deceives the masses. And even though Satan destroys their lives because of the choices they make, God lets the devil play right into his plan. Ladies and gentlemen, in 2020, from a human perspective, we are in a gigantic mess. I love to say this. I say it at weddings. I said it a week ago to my grandson's wedding. Let's hear it again. Life never turns out right without God. Kings, despots, rulers, presidents, dictators, world leaders through history have come and gone and come and gone. Tiny specks of dust on a little planet roaming around in a great massive universe. And we have the audacity because we're leaders or because we're elected to office or because we're asked to serve in a certain place. We, we have the audacity to think that we control something. Today we wring our hands. Oh Lord, what's going to happen in the election? Lord, who's going to win the election? Lord, we, we wring our hands. And that's normal, I think, because we care. Let me just insert here that it is a privilege in the United States of America, and it's more than that. It is a duty as a citizen, and it is a commanded duty of the Christian. Go vote. Do you know that in the last election, only 25% of Christians voted? You know what? You know why we're, we're we're seeing what we see in this nation? It's because the Christian isn't taking care of their spirit responsibility. Pastor, why are you so bold about that? Because we are we are God uses His people, ladies and gentlemen, to affect this world. And I don't want to be condemning. I want to be encouraging. I'm telling you, I want you as a Christian to get out and vote. Stop your excuses. Stop all the, the, the well, it's just that my vote doesn't count anyway. Can I tell you, it is a duty. God uses his people. But I just want to say behind all of that, I want to read you Back in Isaiah chapter 40. He's praised to the God of all the kingdoms of all the earth. In chapter 40, I'm going to read verse 22. 
Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Behind it all, ladies and gentlemen, there is a God. This is the God of Hezekiah's praying. It's the God of our praying. Aren't you glad he's omnipotent? Lastly, I want to realize he prayed to the God of heaven and earth. Hezekiah could have just prayed this. You're the God of heaven and earth. And in, to be honest with you, that says it all. But God's not just abstract. I want you to know this God that is Lord of Sabaoth. This Lord is Lord of hosts. This one that sits between the cherub. This one of God of heaven and earth. I want you to know he is concerned about you. You. He brought it all into existence. He holds it all together. From the time I was a little boy to now, and I did it last night, I love to go in the evening and look into the heavens. Even if it's cloudy, I like to try to see if I can find one star that shines somewhere through the light, the clouds. I love to see the moon in its phases. I, I, I love to see it. I've been privileged to go fishing a few times in Canada. And I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that in Canada, we, because they don't have near as much smog as we have, and they don't have that, you get up there and the sky is 30, 40, I'm just guessing it's much clearer. When I was a little boy, I remember in the farm down in South Oklahoma, I could see the Milky Way like a big tunnel of stars. How many have ever seen that? It's hard to see now, it seems like to me. You get in Canada, it looks like this huge starry funnel all the way across that sky. It is beautiful. Someone said if you could count a star every second, count one star every second, it would take 1,500 trillion years I stopped a little short of the reading. Listen to the next verse. Lift up your eyes. Well, I read it. See these created things. Who brings them out by number? He calls them by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one star that he ever created is missing. <laughs> Generation 2020. This is the God of our praying. Psalm 115.1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name give glory. 
Is it any wonder this God has asked us to pray? If you, if you just listen to Hezekiah's prayer, what an awesome invitation to pray. Prayer, ladies and gentlemen, is our personal access to the God of heaven who does all things well. I want to say to you in this sanctuary or on Facebook or YouTube, in your home, wherever you are, if you have not come to this believing family, if you have not come to God and you have not given your heart to Him, He's declared His heart. He said these words, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Whosoever will can come and receive salvation. In this year, I want to share with you, if you are not born again, the best thing you can do is before this service is over, is to say, Lord, here I am. I need to be sure that everything's right between my soul and the Savior.